Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com. Very thankful to have this opportunity to continue a wonderful Bible study discussion with Aaron Boone called Apologetics in Motion. It's really healthy for personal evangelism, reaching out to friends and family, and having tools, the same tools that Paul used as he talked to people nearly 2,000 years ago. And I think that's what I like about it so much is that it is so relevant that these ancient truths that Aaron helps us unlock are valuable to the conversations that we have every day today. So we stopped in the middle of a section where we were trying to learn how Paul would communicate Scripture to people who had no appreciation or understanding of the Scriptures. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. So let's jump back into the study, Apologetics in Motion, with that question. Now you have some Scriptures in here where uh, with this kind approach he is establishing a foundation about God's creative power. Um, do you mind reading those? And um, But then also, I guess the second part of my question is, how does Paul explain the Bible to people who don't value the Bible? Yeah. First, he doesn't really quote Scripture. Oh, okay. And I think that's a, an interesting point of view. We feel like we have to just bombard people with Scripture. As he introduces his whole subject matter, he doesn't start them off with Scripture. Now, we have Scripture. Psalm 19.1, we're talking about creation is his first point of subject. Mm -hmm. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. But the Bible is clear and makes known that the heavens are there for a purpose, mm -hmm. and it's to declare God. In Romans 1, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Mm -hmm. And so there is a purpose to, un to the universe. Now, it's really easy at times to quote the Bible in defense of the Bible. It's what it's there for. It can defend itself. But it's not just the Bible that affirms the truth of God's creative power. And that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. He's drawing their attention back to creation. Mm -hmm. and he's drawing his, the people's attention to what's going on with the creation of the world and what that means. There's a, a pretty good book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and it has some pretty great teaching points with regard to understanding how the universe does point to God. Mm -hmm. And there's a quote within that book that says, God's signature is not just in the cell, it's in all of creation. God is necessary to the universe as a band is to music. Once the band stops playing, the music is over. Mm. And so God is a part of creation. And just like if you were at a, a concert, and someone asks, where's the music coming from? You point to the band. Say, that's where it is. <laughs> when Paul wants to talk about God and the things that God is, he first wants to establish that God exists, and he does so by saying, look around you. So sometimes we as God's people, when we try and spread the gospel, we think like we have to get into these deep Bible verses. Sometimes it's okay to take a, a slow stroll through something that we already know and understand, which is what we talked about, creating common ground. And by doing so, we stop and we think, look at what's around us. And we hope that we can draw people to some conclusion that, okay, 
God exists. Now, they're not always going to find that answer just by looking at trees. But what the universe can do and what we can do by showing it is hopefully pique people's curiosity. Say, okay, we see this. Now let's get into Scripture and let's find something yeah. where we can work through and explaining these things. Here's a modern tidbit. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Richard Dawkins is a famous atheist who yeah. sometimes, I don't know if he's debated Frank Turek from, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, but they, they kind of circle each other. They're mm -hmm. like the two big kids in the schoolyard who are afraid to fight. You know, they're just like circling each other. But yes, um, Richard Dawkins one time famously said, uh, DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. And it seems like it's this very elegant, thoughtful statement. And I think behind it, he's making the point about how uh, evolution, it's not moral. It's just, it just is. Yeah. And he's trying to make this point that, you know, we, we try to make things more than they are, but really we're just a happy accident dancing mm -hmm. to the music of whatever. And I can't help but in the quote that you gave from, uh, was that Frank Turk's quote? I think he borrowed it, but it's in his book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Richard Dawkins is willing to say that it's dancing to the music of life. Mm -hmm. And he's advocating that music is just there happening. And what he doesn't realize what he's saying is that music can't come from nothing. Mm -hmm. So like he's he's reaching the same conclusion that Frank Turek's reaching, but he's just refusing to admit it. Yes. And I like Frank's response or I guess this quote, this idea that once the band stop playing stops playing the music is over, God, you know, is behind everything. And so I think of Acts 17 in modern terms. Mm -hmm. People want to put you in a box. They're going to call you uh, a young earther or they're going to call you a I mean, this one may not make the final cut because people are going to come down hot on both sides of it, but an anti-vaxxer or a vaxxer. Like, yeah. That suddenly describes everything about you. You're, yes. you're anti-this or pro-that, and it's like, I'm so much more than a label, and, mm -hmm. and I hate being labeled as something. But what I like to talk about with people who don't believe in God, uh, if I this is my Act 17 in modern terms, mm -hmm. and that is either something made everything or nothing made everything and for me it takes more faith to believe nothing created everything than something and you're not attacking belittling degrading you're simply throwing it out there that it seems like we could all agree that for nothing to make everything makes less sense yeah, and I, I see that's what Paul's doing here is instead of him attacking the the Stoics and the Epicureans, etc., he's laying out this basic principle. God made life. We all come from him. We all walk through him. And we can all agree on that. Right. And so um, maybe you could after I've gone on the soapbox rant, uh, as it were, maybe you could draw out some applications of God's creative power from this scripture to maybe help us get back into it and I think there's some important things that Paul draws out about God's creative power and he notes that if God created everything in verse 24 that means he's Lord of everything mm -hmm. 
you are in charge of what you create. And we don't today have the creative power that God has. But as a child, if or as anybody, if you build something, there's at times there's some Lego things in my home. <laughs> uh, and they're pretty detailed. And my wife put together a friend's set of Legos. I'm not touching that. I'm not breaking. She's in charge of that. Right. When you build something, you are in charge of it. And so he draws that point from his illustration that if God created everything, what does that mean? It means he's in charge. And if someone were to say, hey, I don't like this idea that God is the Lord, like that doesn't make sense to me. Then Paul or us, we can back up to what we agreed on. But remember, we agreed that that he's the one that that made everything, right? That everything comes from God. It comes yeah. from something. Yeah. So I'm just highlighting a point you made 10 minutes ago or so, and that is that once someone thinks we're crazy, we back up to the point where they don't think we're crazy and say, we agreed on this earlier, right? Yeah. So what, what naturally is the conclusion as we move on? So if God created it, then he's the Lord of it. What else do we see about his creative power? He also draws out that, by God being the creator of all things, he's therefore not limited by the things that he's created. One of the modern arguments that talks about God, or we, you know, Dawkins or somebody, where'd God come from? Yeah. Is the question. And well, if space, time, and matter had beginnings, which most will say they did, even atheists and uh, theists alike can agree on that, that there's some beginning point. Well, then if space, time, and matter had a beginning, then what created them existed outside yeah, of them. It has to transcend them. Exactly. And so in that regard, it's important to understand that God's not limited by his creation, and, and he's there with us. And that's Paul's point, that God is everywhere with us. He's not limited by the things that he's mm-hmm. created. And so we can't hide from him, and we can't um, divorce our lives from his power. One of the things Dawkins does talk about often and has admitted that there's the possibility that this world was created by creative beings, but then he would conclude, but they are, they're hands-off, they've gone. Right. <laughs> Could and, be aliens, but not God. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But Paul is drawing that this isn't who God is. The God who created us is a God who is with us and wants to be a part of our mm-hmm. lives. He has. He's a God of love and mm-hmm. wants to have relationships with his people. Mm-hmm. Which all of things, all of these things have special application to to Athens. Athens is Greek culture. We we know about Hercules from from Disney and all of these different <laughs> things, but in Greek culture, Greek gods were not this ever present beings. They uh, were on Mount Olympus or would come down and yeah, be with their they people. They were temperamental. Exactly. Well. They needed to be placated mm-hmm. so they wouldn't get mad. Exactly. And so these, this point that God is not limited to one place flies in the face of Athenian culture. Mm-hmm. But so does what Paul also draws out where he says that God is not dependent on humankind for worship or for right. power. Right. And he, get, he doesn't get more powerful when we praise him. Exactly. He doesn't get less powerful when we don't believe in him. Exactly. Which that would also go against Greek gods and stuff, right? They'd go give sacrifices to yeah. you know, make sure that those gods were placated, that they were receiving the power that they needed to keep doing their thing there was a movie that came out and i don't mention movies too much on here but uh it was uh it was one of those greek uh sword slasher movies of mm-hmm. something about the titans and um clash of the titans i think it was okay yeah, the, yeah. the premise of it was the greek gods are running out of power 
mm-hmm. because the people aren't worshiping them like they used to. Yeah. And they need more worshipers so that they can get their power back. Exactly. That's, that's such a human way mm-hmm. to to look at God's yeah. versus Paul's declaration that God doesn't need anything from you mm-hmm. to be this all-powerful, all-knowing being. Yeah. And those are important points to establish. This this is Paul's foundational introduction that God created everything. And then what does that logically mean? Well, it means he's Lord of everything. Mm-hmm. He can be anywhere, do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't need us because he didn't need us before we existed to create everything. He doesn't need us now. And so that brings in kind of this second subject. Let me go ahead and summarize before okay, you take it start away. it because people who are folding laundry or in traffic may may have been with us for a while. Okay. And they may be thinking, what was the first point? What was the this or that? So uh, you have helped us differentiate that we've got principles that we need to be working on in our heart. Mm-hmm. And then we have subjects that we're going to be sharing with others. And we begin with a principle. And that is, in my heart, I need to believe that I can talk to anyone. And I can believe that I I don't need to get caught up in worldly debates. And I can find common ground with people. And I can be kind. These are four principles that you've uh, educated us on. And you've also given us one subject based on what Paul preached. Paul preached that there was a creator God in verse 22 through 26. And so, as I rudely interrupted you, you were getting ready to talk about the second subject. What does Paul talk about next? The second subject, and I think that this is made even more spectacular in the face of the fact that God doesn't need us. And so his second subject is that God loves us. Mm-hmm. And God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be us to be a part of his family. It seems like if I'm trying to be an Athenian, I might be in despair before you you make this point, because yeah. suddenly there's an all-powerful God who doesn't need anything, so I can't change his mind. I can't make him like me if he doesn't like me or uh, save me if, if I'm being destroyed by something like, what sort of a God is this? And exactly. Wow, that's a, a, a such a great second thought. Mm-hmm. That what sort of a God is this? A God who loves you. Exactly. Now, and this isn't in these notes, but there's something on the top of my head that jumps jumps out to me, and that is Paul doesn't start with God and then go to hell. He starts <laughs> with God and then goes to love. Yeah. So that's part of this kindness approach as well and helping an audience. I think at times we get so gung-ho, I don't want you to go to hell, so we go straight to hell, and we that's what we talk about. And we forget that while God doesn't want us to go to hell, he doesn't just want us not to go to hell. He wants us to understand his love for us and to love him in return. Mm -hmm. And he wants this relationship. And so Paul addresses God's great desire for his creation. It just wasn't it wasn't just to create and then be hands off. It was to create a world that shows himself through it and then to demonstrate his love in that world and receive love in return. And that's important to God. Love is a foundational principle throughout Scripture that God wants to share with humankind and for humankind to share back with him. When Paul talks to Timothy, he, he notes that God, that it is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men 
to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God's ultimate desire for his creation is not to just be hands off and go do your own thing. It's to have them drawn to him and to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what God wants. There is a God who loves us mm-hmm. and who desires to have a right relationship with us. And that's the purpose uh, of Scripture. In we know John three sixteen very well. Right. Favorite verse of everybody. But John three seventeen is also important to God's plan for Christ to not come into this world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Yeah. And so there is love involved in what God is doing. And when we talk to people about Christ and God, we want to stress. Now, not to the exclusion of other things at times, but we want to stress and understand that God wants salvation. He wants us to be in a right relationship with him. Okay, so I'm going to put myself in the shoes of someone who's listening to this who is a member of the church, and maybe they've been burned by this idea of God is love and God just wants to love people and let's just love people the way God would love them. And in the back of their mind, they're thinking, here we go again with this love lesson about how we're not going to warn them of anything, we're not going to instruct them to do anything, and it's just, you know, God loves you, and so now I feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Mm-hmm. It seems like, Paul is defining God's love within uh, some other personal applications as well, right? Yeah, and God's love is not a love that permits us to do wicked or anything of that nature, and so Mm -hmm. sometimes we get lost in that. God's love is a love that calls us to action. In fact, the Apostle Paul notes that there is human responsibility, personal responsibility in the definition or in the idea of God's love. In fact, in verse 27, he notes that God has done all of these great things in verses 22 through 26, created the world, sustained it, loved us, cared for us, all of these things. Why? He says, so that we should seek the Lord in the hope that we might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Mm -hmm. So Paul's point is not that God loves you, you're great where you're at. Is God loving is loving you and He's doing everything. He's giving you the universe to draw your attention to Him, not so that you can say, "Wow, that's what a great God." It's so that you start running to Him, yeah, and you start surrendering your life to Him. Right. God's done all of this so that you would seek Him. Mm-hmm. So love is not something that is passive, and God's love is not meant to allow us to just sit around. It's to draw us to Him to be active in our search and our love and our active obedience to God. And you say that that uh, secondarily in verse 28 that Paul highlights the relationship we have. What do you mean by that? Well, again, in Athenian culture, it's kind of this God-worshipper separation of individual and God, and there's not a lot going on between them. Their gods are happy when they do their things, and then they get something from God as well. Almost as if it's a employee-employer relationship. Oh, okay. And so you do something good for me, I'll do something good it's for transaction you. transaction-based or merit-based. Yeah, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. The relationship with God is not so much of that nature. Now, we've already known God doesn't need anything from us, so right. we can't do anything. So everything right. God does is out of love. And so what does he want for us? Well... 
He says there in verse 28, For in him we live, move, and have our being, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Yeah. And so he's drawing us into this fact that with God, it's not a employer-employee relationship. It's a family relationship. We're his offspring. He wants us in his family. Is that some Epicurean or Stoic poet that he's talking about there? He's like citing one of their own sources. Yeah, I ha- I didn't go into uh, which one it was and who it was. I know there are some who will kind of nail it down more. But he is talking to his audience saying, this is your poet. And right. uh, that gives us kind of a fifth principle, if we can get back on our principle side of the chart. <laughs> sure. And there's importance of knowing your audience. Uh-huh. And I bring this up here. It could have been brought up at any point throughout this. Paul starts knowing his audience as soon as he gets to Athens. He yeah. starts learning the culture. Yeah. And he starts seeing who their gods are, what their idols are all about. And he's reading the placards on the idol to understand who the god is and what their importance is. And he does all of that so that he can create a bond again with his audience. We talked about one of our earlier principles, building a foundation, starting at a common ground. Mm -hmm. That only comes if you know your audience. Right. Um, Yeah, if you're talking to a Buddhist or a Baptist, that's two very different Bible studies you're going to have. Exactly. Atheist or Anglican, right? Exactly. So you have to know, do I have to start at creation or can I start with Jesus? Right. And do they value the Bible? Do they have no clue of what the Bible is? Exactly. Paul would. Paul always used truth, which mm-hmm. the Bible teaches truth. But Paul's truth may not have been book, chapter, and verse. Here's where I referenced truth. Exactly. He may have just said it. God created the world yeah. without saying Genesis 1, verse 1. Exactly. And okay. that, that's a great tactic with regard to teaching or talking about the Bible. Sometimes in workplaces or any environment with friends who may not be ultimately in love with Scripture as we are or should be, the moment you say, well, the Bible says, they turn off their ears and they don't want to listen. But if you could just throw out, well, you know, you're loved and that other people want to see good for you and try and kind of summarize verses like John 3.16 in ways that maintain the truth but are also will reach the ears of your audience mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. And so you have to know your audience and who you're talking to. You had a podcast with Brother Bobby Cunningham about personal evangelism, yeah. and I would go back and listen to that uh, all the time, and I do. And he notes that the first time he has a study with people, he very rarely opens his Bible. It's a it's a Bible, it's a conversation about each other. Yeah. Where are you from? What's your background? I, I utilize that same strategy um, many times. In fact, just this past Tuesday, I had a Bible study with two young people. Uh, one is a new member of the church. One is not a member of the church. And mm-hmm. we just spent the whole time talking about, and, uh, you know, especially to the older generation, this might seem preposterous, but we answered the following question. How do you feel about the Bible? Yep. And I learned more about those two people from that question um, than I may have if we had opened up and and done a chapter study. Mm-hmm. Would the chapter study have been beneficial? Yes, I think it would have. Yeah. But now I, at least I know their literacy level. At the beginning of this, we talked about the idea that this is a difficult situ- conversation. These are difficult conversations to have. And one of the ways we can make it easier on ourselves 
is by not making it more complicated. And what I mean by that is get to know your audience. Yeah. Because then you're not guessing. Mm-hmm. What do they need to hear? What should I study with them? Mm-hmm. What should I, where should I start? Should I start in James? Should I start in Matthew? You can save yourself hours of grief by just taking some time and how do you feel about the Bible? Yep. And yep. from there, you know, all right, this is where we're starting the next time. And so if you want to make a complicated process easier, take, it, take a step back yeah. and get to know your audience. And Paul drives a point home with one of their own quotes. And so that makes him more relatable to them. It makes them think about it a little bit more. Yeah, we do say that. What is, how, what's going on here? And though it's important to know your audience to be able to more effectively spread the gospel wherever you're going. And so take a little bit of time. And by doing that, you'll find a richer, fuller, more, what's the word I'm looking for? More natural introduction to your next subject. Mm -hmm. Right? So we're, if we're in the business of, if we're salesmen, and I know people might cringe at this example, but if they were, in, if we're salesmen, we're in the art of selling something, or the business rather of selling something, and we're trying to get this product to people, and we we know this product is what they need. How do we get it to them? Yeah. And what you're suggesting is by taking time to know our audience, we're going to be able to display this product for them in a way where they recognize oh i need that yeah versus just shoving it down their throat right off the bat and they never had time to even consider what it was so uh in the subject that paul brings up uh again first we talked about god as the creator verse 22 through 26 then then you talk about the love of god or rather paul talked about the love of god verse 27 through 29 what's next in verse 30 and 31 uh when we have all these principles down, what does Paul talk about next? Well, Paul begins to close out his conversation with salvation on his mind. So he closes out by noting that salvation is necessary and God wants to save. Again, mm-hmm. God loves us, and so he wants to save us. And so yeah. he says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. It's drawing on reminding them God has loved us and he's given us time and patience. But now commands all men everywhere to repent mm-hmm. because he's appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So he's got to the resurrection. Mm-hmm. He didn't start with it. He had to build before he got there. But this is his goal, as it's our goal, Yeah, is to bring people into contact with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Exactly. This is where... Uh, in Acts 17, 17 through 20, it says that Paul was in the synagogue teaching about the resurrection of Christ. This is where he's been wanting to get to. This is mm-hmm. what they called him crazy for. <laughs> and so he immediately went, or it isn't immediately, that's the whole point of this whole thing, where they call him a crazy person, and he doesn't immediately go into what they called him crazy about. He takes a step back, builds it up, talks about God's creative power, what that means, his love, and now he says, now God will judge us. Yeah. And, and this isn't the only place in the scripture where he says that, right? No. You you make the point that Paul uh, really had a great desire to, to see that others were saved. Paul desired greatly to see the human race saved. In the book of Romans, as he's writing to these Christians there, 
he makes the statement, For I could wish that I were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Hmm. And now, I don't think Paul is saying here that he wants to go to hell so that others can be saved. Right. But he is saying that he would suffer the bitterest of evils, the harshest of circumstances, if it meant somebody else got to be saved. Yeah. And Paul had a great desire and love for the human race and wanting to see them be saved. And Paul did go through a lot of things that we won't go through, May you know, hopefully. You know, in Second Corinthians, Paul says, you know, these light afflictions which were but for a moment, and then three ver- chapters later says, well, I was shipwrecked, I was <laughs> <Right>. stoned, I was... <laughs> Left for dead. Left for dead. Beaten several times, right. Exactly. And so all of this wasn't for nothing. It was for the spreading of the gospel's sake. This is something that Paul wants to share, and he would take it day and night if that meant somebody else got to go to heaven with him. And that's a viewpoint, a mindset that we need to learn to adopt ourselves. Paul yeah. says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Christ get, went through the bitterest of evils so that other people could be saved. Mm-hmm. Paul did the same. And so we need to learn to get a little uncomfortable at times yeah, in order to help somebody else make it to heaven. I think it was your dad at a New Year's meeting that preached. And it, it's one of those common uh, phrases, but I heard him, I remember him specifically saying, we need to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Maybe, yeah. And that really stuck. It was one of those like, ooh, so good, you know, whenever (laughs) I heard it the first time as a teenager. Yeah. But I remember thinking, that's right, because uh, we, well, I can't say this about anybody other than myself. It's easy for me to look out at the disturbed and want to comfort them Mm -hmm. because I want everybody to feel good. I'm a a people pleaser. That's something for good or bad. I That's kind of who I am. Yes. But disturbing the comfortable is also part of the gospel Mm -hmm. and that is shaking people awake and saying you're not okay Mm -hmm. and so i guess i'll use that to springboard back into this in in this subject of the salvation of god it's it's not just about love it's Mm -hmm. about god's expectation and what is god expecting people to do when they hear the gospel paul's point is this closing line repent Mm mm-hmm and in short, because we're not going to spend another podcast on repentance. <laughs> in 10 words or less, yeah. summarize repentance. <laughs> um, in general, I would repentance is defined by me as a change of mind, which leads to a change of action. And that's what he's calling them to do. And there's points here that can be drawn out. They were doing something religious. They weren't just sitting on their hands and twiddling their thumbs. Yeah. They were worshiping the unknown God. They were yeah. doing something. And Paul says, that's not good enough. Ignorant worship is not good enough. And so you got to shake them. Shake them awake is what Paul is doing. You're ignorant about something. And some people might say, well, at least they're doing something, right? He says, no, you need to repent. Right. You need to change your life. Mm-hmm. And that's his ultimate goal here. And that's the goal throughout the Bible is to draw people to change their life. Mm-hmm. In Acts 3.19 Uh, He says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. We want to have forgiveness of sins. A change of mind, which leads to a change of action, must occur first. And Paul's point is that he wants you to be saved. And so he's not going to leave out the fact that things have to change. Right. Difficult conversations will happen. And we sometimes in those conversations and we don't get to the repent part. 
So uh, we talked about it. But <laughs> if we leave off the part that says you need to change, yeah, we've we've done a disservice to people. There's a balance there, and I'll just speak from the heart as mm-hmm. a preacher. There's a balance in Bible study where you can lead people to that conclusion and they for themselves realize I need to change mm-hmm. versus you just being like, change, change. Exactly. I will make you change. And and they're like, fine, I'll change. Good night. I will. I don't want to do this anymore. Exactly. But uh, I had a recent conversation with someone and it's always dangerous whenever they say this phrase. So you're saying mm-hmm. because you're like, Ooh, what, how are they going to? Mm-hmm. But it's also a processing question. So they they are taking your words, and then they are, they've thought about it, and now they're checking for understanding. And this person said, "So you're saying that I need to be baptized because fill in the blank. You know, I my old baptism didn't count, or I when I was baptized as a baby, or I have never. You know, you're saying that da 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 da, and and that's to me one of the best." phrases that a person can say and not in not in a debate you're just saying that i'm this or that no i'm not whenever they're genuinely saying so you're saying this or that where they are they have internalized Mm -hmm. and they recognize that they need to change so let me like that flip the script on you what do you say in that situation do you say yes or do you and there i'm not saying there's a right or wrong do you say yes or do you take them back to scripture and say look what does jesus say i used to when i was younger say a very eloquent well it's not me mm-hmm. it's the bible yes and the bible says this and da, da, da. what i've found in many uh conversations is their eyes start to glaze over mm-hmm. as i as i make it too complicated yeah and so i have already established with them that it is the bible that's doing the teaching not me mm-hmm. so when they ask of that question so you're saying that i'll i say Yes. Yeah. And I think that's important. I think that I keep it simple. A hundred percent. And then after they've had a moment to process, oh, he is saying that. Yeah. And then I'll say, and I say that because the Bible says that. Mm-hmm. And I leave it as short and sweet as I can. Mm-hmm. And I, I, man, I'll tell you, if I could go back in a time machine 20 years ago and tell young Jonathan, right. Jonathan, shut up. <laughs> I, I had this very conflated response. Yes. Sometimes the less you say, the better. Right. And I think that's an important... Paul here doesn't go into this and say, you're going to hell. He draws it out and says, you need to repent because God will judge us. Mm -hmm. He allows them to draw the conclusion, if I don't, I'm going to hell. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're gung-ho again with the, you're going to hell conversation. And at times, maybe that's needed. That hard conversation is needed. I'm not saying not to, but... With somebody you're trying to share the share the gospel with, sometimes you you need to say a little bit less. Don't leave out the truth, and Paul doesn't. Right, he says repent because God will judge us, and he reminds him of the righteous judgment that he will use with Christ. But he will judge us, and that gives us kind of the final principle. Ooh, the final principle. The final principle, and that's remember the purpose of your conversation. Okay. Don't get lost, and this kind of leads us back to our first principle as well. Don't get lost in in worldly debates or going off and down rabbit holes. Right. Remember that even though you started a very simple conversation of creation, and that's not always very simple, 
but a very foundational principle, your end game is always salvation mm. and righteous living. It's not to win the argument. It's not to win the <laughs> argument, which feels really good sometimes. Right. But you talked about as you've grown up and matured, you wish you could go back. Same for me. And some of those things, you know, when I take speech and debate in college, it was a blast to win. It was, and I loved it. But when we baptized an individual earlier this year at Green Oaks, I'll tell you that was more rewarding than winning any argument. And you don't always understand that, and you can't feel that until that happens in your life. Yeah. But when it happens, yeah. it, it's amazing. I understood the verse that talks about angels rejoicing when a soul is saved. Uh-huh. And I thought, I get it now. And I think that's an important thing to understand that before you experience that, that feeling of being a part of somebody's salvation, not you, it's not, you know, I planted or watered, whatever I did, that's great. But until you experience that, you don't understand that winning an argument doesn't actually feel that good. Yeah. You know? Well, Paul called Timothy a son in the faith. Yeah. And so, you know, when you plant and you water, and you're taking a very intimate relationship with that person, and yeah. to see them get baptized is like watching your child take their first steps. It's like watching your child ride a bike mm-hmm. without training wheels. And all those iconic moments of watching your children grow up where you go, this is why I do it. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, I could, I, I win every argument with my kids because right. for one, I, at this point, I, my mind is firing faster than theirs when it comes to logic and reason. Mm-hmm. Two, they're intimidated by our relationship. Yeah. But I don't feel good when I win those arguments. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I won the argument and I got my way, but I'll tell you when I feel great is when they have... Like I said, there's a skill mm-hmm. that they've taken on, and I get to look back and say, I was a part of that. I was a father to my child. Yeah. Paul was a son, or rather, Paul was a father in the faith to Timothy. Mm-hmm. You are in a special relationship with that person who was baptized. So I yeah. just want to validate that. No, I, I think that's, that's beautiful. It comes from a father that can relate to that. And I think there's importance in seeing that, that there are things bigger than us mm-hmm. in these conversations. And we have to remember that when we have these conversations, that this isn't just about inflating our ego. Right. It's not about my work report. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and one of the things that Keith Thompson shared with me that really helped me mentally was he said, and I hope I can say this correctly, he said that being fruitful does not mean baptizing people. It means growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we rate people on how many people they've baptized. And say, okay, you baptized 10, 15, 5 people. That's great. You're a great preacher. You're a great Christian. And we forget that there's other things that go on in the gardening process. And we don't don't elevate those. And so the person who doesn't get to baptize, they get, at times, feelings of inadequacy inadequacy because, well, I'm not pulling my weight maybe. No. No, that's not how it is when the Bible talks about us being fruitful it it talks it means are we growing in the fruit of the spirit yeah not are we baptizing Mm -hmm. everybody Mm -hmm. and so we have to remember that these baptisms whatever it is conversions helping people remain faithful those are bigger things than us we just have an important part in them yeah and we're supposed to I am at the recording of this harvesting okra Mm -hmm. but if I hadn't tended to the garden since Mm mid-March 
here we are. The recording is in mid-August. I shouldn't even be harvesting okra right now. It's crazy that it's still here and hasn't burned up. Yeah. But the point is, I don't go out and clip off the okra pieces and say, I've done all the work in clipping that piece of okra. Mm -hmm. I have to look back on the months of toil and labor and tending and gardening and watering and weeding and everything else. Mm -hmm. And in the church, our, our gardening... Yeah, the guy who dips someone in water oftentimes gets preeminence. Mm -hmm. And for what it's worth, I don't, if I can help it, I don't baptize people anymore. Mm -hmm. And I say that for my listeners to hear, the irony is that I just baptized someone this past Sunday. It happens. (laughs) Because there wasn't anyone available. She didn't have family to do it. But like if they have family in the church, Mm -hmm. there's other leaders present, I really want others to do it. Yeah. Because I don't want the trope to continue or be perpetuated that the preacher is the he guy did all the work it. yeah and he's doing all the baptizing when frankly a lot of our members are so talented and they do all the work behind the scenes and mm-hmm. and so i i like to see others take that role instead of me and that's i think it's like paul in first corinthians one he said i i i baptized some of you but i, I they didn't send me to baptize they send me to preach the gospel i didn't baptize any of you except household <laughs> yeah. of guys and a couple others. <laughs> and yeah, there's there's a lot of preeminence put on the people who are front and center. Right. And they've done some great work, but there's also people in the background that do things. And sometimes there's some luck. You know, you're talking about this okra. It rained. You did nothing right. when it rained. <laughs> there's other, That's a great point. There's other things that go yeah. on outside of you yeah. that... Help. God's blessings came down beyond my water hose. Mm-hmm. And God's blessings come into the lives of people beyond my Bible studies. Exactly. So maybe I won't call it luck. I like what you're saying <laughs> better. So there's things that are bigger than us. Uh-huh. And kind of as we mentally wrap this up before you, maybe you'll summarize this one more time, but I think there's an encouraging close to Paul's ending here. And that is... Um, He said in verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, We'll hear him again on this matter. However, some joined him and believed among them Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Paul is not 100% successful. Nope. He got mocked. He saved some and others. And this is an important point today as well. They said, "Well, we'll think about it. Sometimes all we're doing with these conversations or all we want to achieve or can achieve, one guy said, is to put a rock in their shoe. Yeah. (laughs) To make them uncomfortable, to think about some things and to chew it over and to have faith in God that they'll have the time to chew it over. And if they want, if they have a heart that wants to repent, they'll have an opportunity to. And so if, we have these long conversations with people and yet we didn't baptize them all. That can be really discouraging. I did all this work. And again, it's about me. Right. Ultimately we did our part. Yeah. We diffused the knowledge of God. I don't think Paul was a disciple of John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm pretty confident that he wasn't. Yeah. But John's humility when he says he must increase, I must decrease, mm-hmm. surely that is a Pauline principle as well, mm-hmm. where Paul said, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. And I'm crucified. 
so that he can live. And so, yeah, huge takeaway in remembering the purpose, this principle here. The purpose of the conversation is to bring someone into awareness of there is a God, that he cares for you, and that there is a time coming when judgment will happen and you need to be ready for that. Yeah. And if we've done, that's our job, the end. And, mm-hmm. and baptism is their response, not our response. Yeah. So, great. Well, do you have any final points or is that kind of the end of your study? How do you, how do you wrap this up when you preach it? Well, we wrap it up uh, in a very similar way and by just noting that Paul draws the attention to the people's position with God at this point and that at this point it's not right and that they need to repent. And so with Scripture and with God, again, it's not that we tell people how to change their life. God is all about that in mm. telling us that we need to believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And those are God's plan. That's God's plan mm-hmm. to save humankind, to mm-hmm. draw them into a relationship with him. And that's important for us today to understand that plan, to live it out, and mm-hmm. to be faithful afterwards and to live in a way, in a manner that uh, allows us to be in a right relationship with God. And so when we want to do that and when we recognize the sinful place that we came from and the love that God had for us, the natural thing that I think should happen is it outflows to others and we want to save others. And there's a right way, and this is what you said in the beginning, there's a right way, right thing to say, and a right way to say it. And both those things, if we want to be successful, need to be right. Otherwise, we're going to cause more damage than good. And that's not a reason to not do anything. It's a challenge to be better. Well, there's... uh... I think about Jesus in Matthew 23. Mm-hmm. Whoa. When, when, we, when we talk about there's a right thing to say mm-hmm. and a right way to say it, what that means, what we're inferring is that there is a wrong thing to say and a wrong way to say it. Mm-hmm. The wrong thing to say is anything that's not truth. That makes you a son of hell. Yep. But what makes you twice the son of hell is the wrong way that you say the wrong thing Mm -hmm. and the Pharisees who needed to repent and change because they needed to accept Christ they were turning their proselytes into twice the son of hell because their message not only was it wrong but they were teaching them to have this aggressive legal attack nature Mm -hmm. instead of humbling themselves to the message of Christ yeah so what you've just said uh, I think draws out something very important for us that we need to say the right thing. Hold on. I may have just confused myself. There's a right thing to say and a right way to say it. Yeah. So, well, thank you, brother, very much for coming in. Appreciate it. This is going to be one of those studies that I'll probably reference personally later on down the road, maybe in six months, a year or two, whenever I'm on a long drive somewhere. Because I really think Aaron did an excellent job of breaking down Acts chapter 17 and and inspiring me, hopefully inspiring you too, to see that Paul's methods, you know, the principles that he had, and then also the subject matter that he talked about, that it really did, like we just ended with in our discussion, it really did matter what Paul said, and it also mattered how he said it and how special it is for us today that we can do the same thing, that we have something very valuable to say. It's, it's treasure in an earthen vessel, right? 
but it also matters how we say it and that it is possible for us to win the battle but lose the war, so we need to be careful of those things. So, I hope you enjoyed it. You can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, to check out all of the downloadable content. It's all downloadable for free. There are paper versions of some of the workbooks you can buy, but everything, the podcasts, the videos, the workbooks even, all of it's downloadable and it's free. So go check it out at pureandsimplebible.com. And until next week and our next guest, I always want you to remember... God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, it's real.